Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in 1 Corinthians. We are ready to read chapter 7. We had read chapter 6. Now chapter 6, um, Paul had discouraged the uh, the Corinthians, the, the church, the uh, members at Corinthian. He discouraged them from having lawsuits with one another and had told them that they were the temple of God and that their bodies essentially were were not their own. Their body had been purchased by Jesus and we should not um, commit sin with our body and he in particular mentioned prostitution but I think that would apply to a lot of sinful things we could do with our body. Now and we realize too that Paul has said that all things are permissible but all things are not beneficial. So some things, you know, and, and I'm going to give you a silly example possibly, but I just want you to think about it. If you decide to eat a bag of chips, and it's, it's permitted for you to eat that, there's nothing wrong, you're not sinning by eating a bag of potato chips, but it's not the best for you, it's not the most beneficial for you. But it's, but it's not a sin for you to eat a bag of chips and enjoy that. Now, I would say that at some point, if all you ate were chips, <laughs> and you were just consuming huge quantities of chips, and you were becoming, you know, five, six hundred pounds or more, then, yeah, okay, at that point you have a problem, and it kind of has become a sin for you. Not not maybe a true spiritual sin, but it's it's kind of a sin. There's some sort of gluttony. There's some sort of issue there that needs to be resolved. But... Uh, but that's an extreme case. Normally, normally for you to like have a bag of chips, there's nothing wrong with that. To eat a piece of cake, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and we could say, well, that has no real, um, real value as far as it has no real, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm thinking of our health and our bodies and what we eat. Um, nutrition. Nutrition. So uh, it has no real nutritional value. But... Most of the things we eat, you can at least find a little nutritional value, even even if it's very slim. <laughs> uh, but uh, nonetheless, you get the idea. I'm just making that comparison of food because that's what's been used a lot. But basically, all things are permissible, but all things are not beneficial. So um, Paul was trying to stress that so that we would understand that... Uh, um, that you know we shouldn't be condemning each other for eating different things or doing different things that perhaps to one another might not be a good thing like you have someone who's really health conscious and they just they they really for them they believe it's a sin to eat red meat say and um and okay if it is for them then then it is if they make that a sin for themselves then then it is and that's okay but we shouldn't push that out on everybody else and um that goes true for those who, you know, who think we shouldn't eat. Um, I can't think of, oh, well, shouldn't eat anything like potato chips. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't push that out on others. If, if that's a sin to you because of your way of thinking nutritionally, uh, then don't do it. 
you know but uh, don't push that out on everybody else that's you know someone you may have somebody who you see them eat a bag of chips and maybe that's the first time they've eaten something like that in eight months you know and and you just don't know that because you're not living their life so and we shouldn't be judgmental and stuff about things like that I have gotten off on a tangent so anyway because he did not say that let's see he did not say that in first Corinthians uh, 6 I don't believe so I apologize no he does everything is permissible for me but not all things are beneficial that was in first Corinthians 6 so the Lord in my mind is 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 reminding me of this that's very nice okay so uh, you know um, <laughs> I thought I had gotten this from somewhere else but no I'm in the right place that was a part of first Corinthians 6 so um, but he was actually encouraging them though not to commit sins such as sexual immorality with their bodies and things like that so he's making that comparison that, that a lot of things you know all things are permissible you know um, but not everything is beneficial food is good for the stomach etc etc but we shouldn't be like you know performing sexual immorality with our bodies that you know um, you know and he specifically mentions joining yourself to a prostitute okay so so my synopsis of first Corinthians 6 was a little long I apologize for that but I still think that has value and it's something to remember so now we're ready for first Corinthians 7 now Paul is going to change gears on us and he's going to talk about marriage and they had written and asked Paul some questions regarding these things and he's going to be answering these in this chapter and does he continue on into chapter 8 he does in other subjects so so they tried to break these it looks like they tried to break these chapters up by subject which you know is at least helpful rather than being confusing like we have seen some bad chapter breaks in the past all right so 1st Corinthians 7 this is verse 1 now as to the matters which you wrote it is good beneficial advantageous for a man not to touch a woman outside marriage but because of the temptation to participate in sexual immorality let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own her own husband so it's it's very simple here he's saying it's fine and it would be good if you can you know uh, uh, no I'm, I'm getting this wrong I apologize hold on let me say this correctly he's saying that you shouldn't touch one another outside of marriage but because of the temptation for sexual immorality we should marry and have our own partners now if, if you I'm just gonna read and let him tell you and then we'll we'll come back to this I apologize okay so the husband must fulfill his marital duty to his wife with goodwill and kindness and likewise the wife to her husband the wife does not have exclusive authority over her own body but the husband shares with her and likewise the husband does not have exclusive authority over his own body but the wife shares with him now I want to make a point to you here that some people may not either like or may not want to hear or just don't think about it and it's okay if you don't think about it but 
Notice the husband must fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and he's really referring to, I mean, this is referring to sex as well, with good will and kindness. You know, this was intended to be a good will, a loving, kind thing. It's not intended to be an abusive thing. If you've, you know, ever seen or heard things, like I regret ever seeing and hearing things, where people were just, you know, abusive and gross. And, and we're supposed to be kind and loving to our spouses. This is not supposed to be an act of aggression and and hurtfulness and meanness. Okay, I'm just going to say that, and, and because it's true, that it was not intended to be something that, you know, involved a lot of pain and um, abuse. I'm just going to leave it at that and then move on, because I don't want to talk about all that, but, but you get the idea. So, um, but you're supposed to be loving to one another and you're supposed to, um, you know, share yourselves with each other, you know, and that, that's really not even just sex. I mean, that can be just a hug, a kiss, that can be a lot of things, okay? But I think primarily it's intended to sort of point to sex, but it doesn't have to be just sex. But we should be kind and loving to one another, to our spouses. Um, that's the person you know, you love them. You married them. I, I mean, I hope you didn't marry somebody you didn't love. I mean, in our Western society, that should hardly ever happen. Hardly ever. Anyway, I'm going to continue on. Do not deprive each other of marital rights, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves unhindered to prayer. But come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you to sin because of your lack of self-control. If either a partner is withholding and not having correct relations and sex and, and just being affectionate with their, with their spouse, you know, you are, in essence, you are causing or, well, you know, could be causing temptation to your partner. Now, some, some spouses, some men, some women are going to be better at this than others and they're going to be like, I'm not tempted regardless, it's not a problem. But I bet for most of us that's not the case. If you are in a relationship long enough that is devoid of, of love and affection of all kinds, then you're at some point you're going to be tempted. And it's going to be some sore temptation that's going to be pretty rough. So you want to make sure <clears throat> that you are paying the proper kind loving attention to your spouse. Alright, now Paul says, but I am saying this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all the people were as I am, but each person has his own gift from God, one of this kind and one of that. Now, Paul, they, they believe Paul was a widower probably. Now, I would say Paul was very zealous. It is even possible that Paul never married. You never hear a mention of him having children other than spiritual children and there's no mention of any family you know no no wife no children so <clears throat> so while they speculate that perhaps he was a uh, a widower or something like that it could be I would say it could be that he never married now I don't know historically anything about Paul's life except that he was a Roman citizen he was a Jew he was a Pharisee just what's in the Bible if there's other proofs or other things, I'm not aware of it. But to me, it seems like 
he's so zealous for God, even as a Pharisee, that maybe he just never married. So he's coming at this from that perspective, and he's saying this is a concession, not as a command, and, and a lot of stuff. He has a lot of stuff in this chapter right here where he talks about marriage, and he's, he's definitely willing to say, this is not a command, this is not from the Lord, this is what I think, and, and he's not afraid to say that, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you value someone's opinion, I think Paul is a good person to value their opinion and to, to look at what they say and evaluate that. Because so far, what he said is that husband and, and wives should be kind and loving to one another and affectionate and not withhold that affection because withholding affection from one another um, can let sin creep in. It definitely uh, causes temptation. So, you know, you want to avoid that. Now, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows that as a practical matter, it is good if they remain single and entirely devoted to the Lord as I am. Because he was, at this point in his life, whether or not the rest of his life, I don't know, he was single. But if they do not have sufficient self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Because, well, it just is. I mean, if you just think about it, you know, it's better it, It's better to marry and have someone you love and have someone that you can have that affection with because most of us are going to need that affection. We want that affection. Now, if you're one of those people that don't, if you're more like Paul and, and you're at that stage in your life and you're just like, you know, I can manage on my own. It's fine. Then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're just going to, you know, burn with passion if you're just going to be tempted to commit other problems, other things that are wrong, you know, and I know we don't commit problems, but you know what I mean. If you're going to commit um, sin, pardon me, a little dry there, but um, then, then it would be better to go ahead and marry or remarry if you're a widower or a widow. Okay. In chapter 10, Paul continues, But to the married believers I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife is not to separate from her husband. But even if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not leave his wife. Now this is a case where married believers both are believers and they're married. They should really go down that road. They should be able, I mean, if you look at it from a, a logical, practical standpoint, <clears throat> two, two Christians married together should be able to reconcile. I, I can't imagine that it would be impossible if you were both truly Christians and truly devoted that you would not be able to reconcile. You should be treating each other with affection and with love, and you should care about each other. I realize something may have happened. It may have driven you to this point. Now, we're not talking about abusive relationships. I don't consider... Now, you can disagree with me, and that's okay. But I don't consider someone who's abusive to 
truly be a good Christian. So I don't think this really applies to them. So if someone's abusing you, you are free and able to leave that situation. You're not in any way tied or restrained to someone who's abusing you. That's never been the case. That's never been the intention. And that's not what's being talked about here. Just talking about two married believers and uh, that they should not leave their spouse. You know, they should try to, if they do separate for a time, they should try to reconcile. Okay? Now remember, this is this is Paul's instructions here. And he's not, you know, he's not trying to say that... Um, anyway, this is Paul. He says, I give instructions. These are his instructions. He says, and he says, not I, but the Lord, in this case. Okay? So in this case, he's saying, not I, but the Lord... Because we should be able to reconcile two two believers who um, love and care one another and who are treating each other correctly, they should be able to reconcile. And honestly, I mean, it is just hard to believe that would not be possible. Um, still, again, that's not accounting for like if you're in an abusive relationship, whoever is being abusive and and cruel and mean, they are not really acting like a Christian, so that's an, that's another story. Now, to the rest, this is verse 12, to the rest I declare, I am not the Lord. Now, see, here's the difference. And this is what I was sort of stumbling over a minute ago. In verse 10, he's talking about not I but the Lord. He's given instructions from the Lord that married believers, we should stay together and we should reconcile. He's not saying it's impossible, but he's saying that the husband should not leave his wife, and the wife should not leave her husband. Now, you may have had previous marriages before you were a Christian, or maybe when you were not a practicing Christian, but now you are. Whatever wife you're with, if they are a Christian also with you, you should try to stay with them and reconcile and, and keep that marriage going. You need to learn what you haven't learned. And I'm not trying to be mean about that, but that's just a fact. But, anyway, to the rest, in verse 12, he's saying, I, to the rest I declare, I not the Lord, <clears throat> since Jesus did not discuss this, that if any believing brother has a wife who does not believe in Christ, and she consents to live with him, he must not leave her. And this makes sense. If you become a Christian, and your wife does not, but she still wants to be with you. Well, why would you leave her? And, and he's saying, you know, you shouldn't leave her without due cause. I mean, there would have to be abuse or sexual immorality or something wrong, you know. And if any believing woman has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified, that is, he receives the blessings granted through his Christian wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Just like if you were having children and, and neither of you were Christians, where your children would still be considered, um, you know, you became Christians later. I still think your children would, your children, I, I think children are always considered holy and innocent and pure. So that's just me. Some people would disagree with that, but 
there you go. But if the unbelieving partner leaves, if if they don't want to stay with you because you're a Christian, so basically they're like, nah, I, I can't do, deal with this, I don't want to be that way, I'm leaving, <clears throat> let him leave. And that would be uh, her too, let her leave if that's what she wants to do. In such cases, the remaining brother or sister is not spiritually or morally bound. But God has called us to peace. We should maintain peace. We should live peacefully with our spouses. Um, and trying to keep someone who doesn't want to be with you, and, and I would say this goes even for two, two Christians, if you're trying to hold on to someone who doesn't want to be with you, and you're doing it in, in a way that you know you're trying to restrain them basically <clears throat> in an unpeaceful way I would say that probably is not the best way to go about that you know so anyway but God has called us to peace and that's you know to be at peace with our spouses for how do you know wife whether you will save your husband by leading him to Christ or how do you know husband whether you will save your wife by leading her to Christ and we don't we don't know we may set a good example that they would come to um, appreciate and then they would want to be like that. So that could happen. Only let each one live the life which the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. For each person is unique and is accountable for his choices and conduct. Let him walk in this way. This is the rule I make in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his calling. Now here again, I don't see that he's changed gears. Somebody can let me know if I'm wrong, but um, I don't see that he's changed gears. I think this is still, is this still coming from him or is this back from God? So um, I believe that this, he's talking about the Lord has assigned. I think he's talking again that this is more from God than from him. So this is the rule I make in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his calling from God already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called while uncircumcised? He is not to be circumcised. Now here he's talking about a physical thing, but he's saying that basically... If we become a Christian and we're uncircumcised, we do not need or should not become should be, should not become circumcised because there's no need. And if you are circumcised, that's perfectly fine. There's no reason for you to try to undo that. Um, whatever state we're in, well, let's continue on because he's going to get into this more. Okay, um, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was when he was called. Meaning, when we become a Christian, whatever condition we're in, we start from there. We don't need to try to go backwards and try to change things we've done in our past, such as um, you can't go backwards to your, let's say you're on your third marriage. Okay, it's possible. You can't go back. You should not divorce your, your current wife just to try to go back to one of your two previous wives, whichever one you might say, like you might say the first one, I, I need to go back. No, no, no. You're, you're already in this position. Whatever you've done up to that point, you've done. God has forgiven it for you. He's accepted you. 
you're saved, you've been baptized, you're in the body of Christ, stay in that condition and move forward from there. And that's just an example. With marriage, I think you can apply that to a lot of other things. Um, I've heard some people say you should go back and try to undo all the past wrongs and everything like that. And and yes, there are, there are good kind things you can do from your past or about your past. But you can't really go back and undo all that. You've already done it. It's, it's in the past. It's already there. You can't undo it. Now you can't apologize to people. There's things you can do that would be good and kind and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I think having someone become a Christian and then expecting them to go back and try to retroactively repair every sin that they ever committed is um, impractical at best <laughs> and downright impossible really for most things. But I have heard uh, that said that people should do those kinds of things. Okay. So, But he's going to continue on. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not worry about that, since your status as a believer is equal to that of a freeborn believer. But if you are able to gain your freedom, do that. So, you know, if you're a slave, or if you want to think of it as indentured servant, or whatever, um, that doesn't make you any less of a believer or less of a Christian than whoever the, the person is that owns the slaves, or the rich person versus the poor person. You're still the same in Christ. It doesn't matter. For he who was a slave when he was called in the Lord is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, who was free, he who was free when he was called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price, a precious price paid by Christ. Do not become slaves to men, but to Christ. Now this is not saying, in, in their day, slavery was much more readily apparent. It was a common thing. I know people don't like to hear this, but you're talking thousands of years ago, and it was. It was a very common thing when nations went to war. The winning nation walked away with a bunch of enslaved people. That's the way they did. Um, and I don't mean they necessarily totally walked away, but I just mean when they won, whether they captured the other nation or just defeated them really badly or whatever, they would often enslave a good number of them. This was common practice. I'm not saying it was good. I'm not making any verdict on that, though I believe it was bad, but it's, it's what they did. That's what they did so long ago. And I guess you could say at least being a slave was better than being slaughtered outright. I guess it depends on how you were treated. But anyway, um, so he used slave as an example but you could look at this as any part of the human condition. It doesn't matter if you were um, if you were baptized and you were poor or rich or whatever. You're still equal to one another in Christ. And you're still bought with that price. So, brothers, let each one remain, in, remain with God in that condition in which he was when he was called. And that just means that we're going to start from there. You're going to start your life as a Christian from where you are. You're not going to try to roll back time and go back into the past and try to change things to go back to your first marriage. or to. And I keep saying that because that's a good, easy example to understand, I think. Um, 
you're not going to roll back and try to well you can't you can't undo those things in your past so you pick up you start from where you are when you're when you're baptized into Christ if you're um, if your spouse doesn't believe or whatever you just start from where you are you accept that this is where I am now this is where things are God loves me and accepts me here the way I am and I'm going to move forward from this point so He's accepted you and he's forgiven you up to that point, okay? And not that he won't continue to forgive you. Thank God he forgives us our sins every day. But nonetheless, you get the idea that uh, we're going to move forward. And that's how we're going to continue to move forward as a Christian. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. Um, sometimes they're going to be valid mistakes. It's just going to be something we didn't know any better. And then sometimes it's going to be something that we knew better, but we really... Wanted to do it anyway, and we shouldn't have, but we did, and then we feel remorse and we repent, and, and God still forgives us. So, anyway, you get the idea. However, you are when you are uh, baptized into Christ and you're a new Christian, you're going to start from that point and move forward. You're not going to try to uh, roll back you don't suddenly now in the case of slaves let's say this now um, I can't think of a, of a of a modern day example but in the case of slaves back then you wouldn't automatically be freed just because you were now a Christian and say your master was a Christian you still would be a slave you wouldn't automatically be freed just because you were a Christian so even though you were baptized you know it doesn't mean that you would automatically be freed by your master even if he was a Christian so or she for that matter alright so he's gonna move on he's gonna talk about a different topic that these folks had also asked about now concerning the virgins of marriageable age I have no command of the Lord now he's just gonna tell you right now I have no command of the Lord but I give my opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy and Paul is trustworthy I think that because of the impending distress, that is, the pressure of the current trouble, it is good for a man to remain as he is. And this, this kind of alludes back to what he had just said. And, and that was, you know, that was really, that was really from God, what he had just said. There's, you have to kind of watch and flip, you have to flip back and forth with him. Okay. So it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you unmarried? Do not seek a wife. Now, but if you do marry, you have not sinned in doing so. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned in doing so. So he's talking about men and women. Yet those who marry will have troubles, special challenges in this life. And I'm trying to spare you that. So he's trying to spare them from those special challenges because you do have special challenges I think you have special challenges in any regard no matter which status you seek or choose or but nonetheless he's trying to he, to Paul he believes it's easier just to not be married and to be totally devoted to God so he says I am trying to spare you that but I say this believers the time has been shortened so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they did not and those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice 
and those who buy as though they did not possess. And that is because the time has been shortened. Now, he may have been referring to the briefness of human life or just the returning of Jesus. I think, in a way, he's talking about the shortness of, of life. Life is, you know, life is pretty short. And that even though we have a wife, he's saying they should be as though they did not. They should still be devoted to God. They should still, you know, put God first, of course. You know, and um, I'm not sure about the weeping and the rejoicing, to be honest. I, I, this made more sense to me, I think, the last time I read this. But for some reason right now, um, this is not really kicking over in my mind. But I say this as believers, the time has been shortened. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they did not. So from now on, from this point forward, you should be devoted to the Lord as though... You did not have a wife, not saying that you should not treat your wife accordingly. You should. And uh, those who weep as though they did not weep, I guess we should not spend a lot of time in weeping and rejoicing or possessing things. We, that's, that's what we're going with. It's, um, we should not spend a lot of time in those things because the time has been shortened. We only have so much time in our lives. We shouldn't spend a lot of time with those things, we should be devoted to the Lord. Let's see. <clears throat> so, um, those who buy as though they did not possess anything, and those who use the world taking advantage of its opportunities as though they did not make full use of it. Okay, for the outward form of this world, its present social and material nature is passing away. So here again, we should be devoted to the Lord and spiritual things, just like um, I should have read on further. I apologize for that. So that's what he's saying. He's saying we should be devoted to the spiritual things and not to the material world. Um, and so that would involve, too, you know, the fleshly things and the fleshly appetites. It makes sense. Um, but I want you to be free from concern. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about worldly things, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or the virgin is concerned about the matters of the Lord, how to be holy and set apart both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned with worldly things, how she may please her husband. Now I say this for your own benefit, not to restrict you, but to promote what is appropriate and secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So, again, this is not a commandment. This is Paul giving his opinion. He's saying, I want you to be free from concern. Now, the unmarried man, now he's, he's making a, a little bit of an assumption, okay? The unmarried man is concerned about things with the Lord. This is an unmarried man who doesn't want to be married He's, he's devoted wholly to the Lord. He's only trying to please the Lord. Now, there are, married, there are unmarried men, though, who are not happy being unmarried, and they are, they are wanting a wife in that relationship. And to them, you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But he does make this comparison, but the married man is concerned about worldly things, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. 
And that is somewhat true because when we get, when we're married, when we have a family, we have to, we need to, it's our responsibility to take care of our family, of our wives and our children. Now, Paul is looking at this as only a negative thing. Now, understand, he's looking at this from a totally single person's mindset. And his point is good in that it's kind of a distraction and it keeps you from being able to focus solely on following the Lord. However, what he may not see, or at least he doesn't mention, is how you learn to be more like God through having a family. Because it does force you to learn certain things. You have to learn to um, not be in opposition with your spouse about everything. That you don't have to always win every battle, every fight, every whatever. And it teaches you to love your children. And it teaches you to understand how, how in some way, now not perfectly, but how in some way God loves all of us as his children. So you learn a lot from having a spouse and a family. But, you know, Paul, from his viewpoint, he's saying, but if you could not do that and you could just be zealous for God and be for God at all times and not have your interests divided, he says that he believes that would be better. But he is not mentioning the things that you learn from having a family and a spouse. You learn a lot about how God loves and how we should be. You're going to go through a lot of special, he calls it a lot of special uh, issues or problems. But um, you're going to go through that and it's going to teach you a lot of things. So the married man is, is not just concerned with worldly things, how to please his wife. But that's the way Paul is seeing it um, at this point, and for his for his point, he makes he still makes a valid point. Um, but he is missing or not talking about some of those other valuable lessons you learned from having a spouse and children. Anyway, now I say this for your own benefit, not to restrict you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord, because we should have. We should still be devoted to the Lord first. You know, if you're devoted to the Lord, you will take care of your family. You will do so properly and correctly. That's that's just a fact. So, so um, in the next uh, verse 36, uh, Paul's going to continue. But if any man thinks he's not acting properly and honorably toward his virgin daughter by not permitting her to marry... If she is past her youth, and it must be so, let him do as he wishes. It is not sin. Uh, let me see. Let me read this again. Um, if she is past her youth, and it must be so, let him do as he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But the man who stands firmly committed in his heart, having no compulsion to yield to his daughter's request, and has authority over his own will, and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter from being married, he will do well. So then, both the father who gives his virgin daughter in marriage does well, and the one who does not give her in marriage will do better. Now, again, I'm not sure um, how much of this 
you know, this this still seems to be Paul speaking from his viewpoint and what he thinks. Um, but there is no, there is nothing wrong. Back then, most marriages were arranged. Okay, now we don't really experience this in in our Western society. Uh, it's <clears throat> it's pretty rare for us to experience this. Some cultures still do some of this, but um, he's just telling them that, you know. Um, you don't have, you don't need, you, there's no commandment that you must marry off your daughter, and there's no commandment that you must not marry off your daughter. He says, let him do as he wishes. So, um, So, I mean, this is about arranged marriages, and he's just saying that if any man thinks he's not acting properly and honorably towards his daughter by not permitting her to marry if she's past her youth, meaning she's of childbearing age, and it must be so, let him do as he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But the man who stands firmly committed in his heart, having no compulsion. Now, and this says to yield to his daughter's request, meaning that she is wanting to be married, and he has authority over his own will and has decided in his own heart to keep her from being married, he will do well. Well, he may have any number of reasons why he doesn't want her to marry. Whoever it is, it could be that the person that she wants to marry or the person that wants to marry her, you know, is not not a good person. Maybe they're not a Christian. Maybe any number of reasons. He may be like, well, I don't want my daughter to marry that person. So there could be valid reasons for this, and we have to understand this is uh, this is writing about something that we do not practice, and I really don't know much about, other than the fact that they did arrange a lot of marriages, and um, a lot of times they were done with the girls being pretty young. We would we would not consider it very nice or legal, largely today, probably so. Anyway, moving on to the last few verses here. A wife is bound to her husband by law as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry whomever, whomever she wishes, only provided that he too is in the Lord. But in my opinion, now again, Paul says, in my opinion, a widow, a widow is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God in this matter. Now, that's because I, they think that he was a widower himself or that, you know, he believes that because he likes being single that he he thinks he's in the correct. But he does say it's in my opinion, okay? But, um, so a wife is bound to her husband by law as long as he lives. Now, that applies to believing Christians and um that's what that is supposed to be that you know um if he's not a believer and he leaves you're not morally bound to them paul has already said so you know he's already said that previously so don't get that confused he's talking about two believers and the wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives but there's more to it than just that again it's not to tie you in an abusive situation okay he's he's making certain assumptions that these statements are about believing Christian people 
um, someone who is abusing you and things like that, they are not actually a Christian, no matter how much they claim to be a Christian or may put on the guise of being a Christian around everyone else. An abusive person is not truly being a Christian. They're not treating you as a Christian in that instance. And it's not, uh, <clears throat> it's not valid and it's not beholding to you to be bound to that person. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry. See, I think this goes for both men and women. That's why he doesn't really go any further into it. I think back then, their law already was that men were free to remarry. And a lot, and in some places, men were free to have multiple wives. So, so the rules were different for men and women. And he's trying to give the women some freedom here that if their husband dies, well, in some cultures, they would want to bury the woman with the husband when he died. And that would be wrong. I can't remember which culture that was right off if that was Egyptian or what but uh, it was just an insane idea I don't remember what culture that was nonetheless um, so that is the end of this chapter this chapter has a lot and I know this has been very long and uh, thank you for staying with me it's a lot about marriage um, most of this is assuming, or at least a lot of the uh, restrictive things are assuming that uh, the two of you are believers together and you should be able to stay together and reconcile out of love. That, that makes perfect sense. But it does say that, you know, if you're married to an unbeliever and they want to leave, then you should definitely let them leave. That doesn't mean that you're bound and that you uh, have, that you must divorce them either. You can choose to wait and see if they would come back to you. But you can, you can be divorced from them if you need to, if they, you know, well, I mean, if they leave you and they really leave you permanently and they're never coming back, there's no reason, you know. So, um, but there's a lot here and a lot of this you have to pay attention and if I got any of it confused, let me know. Um, you have to pay attention. Some of this is Paul's opinion and what he thinks. And some of this is from the Lord. And it's it's a command. Like it's a command from the Lord that when we're when we're uh, baptized into Christ, that's the condition he's accepted us in. That's what we are, that's how we are, be we married or unmarried or whatever, and we should move forward from that point. So that is definitely from the Lord. A lot of a lot of some of this other stuff, Paul says, I think, and he says, not the Lord, but I, you know, or or maybe he says the opposite when it's the other way. But you know, and he's he's telling his best in his best judgment, this is what people should do. Um, now, in that one case, I do think it's kind of funny. He he tells you basically that. Uh, you know, you're distracted by having a wife and children and stuff. But I, I would say while that's partially true, you can be distracted. It can teach you a lot, though, in having a family. And it can teach you a lot about how to be more like God and how, and how you need to be more like God. So it can be a good learning experience in and of itself. Anyway, that is 1 Corinthians 7. I will try not to continue on any longer. I know this has been long. Uh, Appreciate you listening. Want you to have a wonderful day. Remember to stay safe and remember that God loves you. <laughs>